Okay, we have here Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians. This is not often talked about. Um, it's, it's not one of the more uh, popular Pauline letters to think about. I think probably because there is, uh, you know, as compared to a book like Romans or First Corinthians, maybe there's not as much kind of like meat to it. There's a little bit more kind of businessy type of things, logistical type of things in the letter that make it a little bit less, you know, easier to, for example, like preach on or something like that if you were going to church. And so I think that maybe is a reason why people aren't exposed to Second Second uh, Corinthians as much. But um, there's definitely still some some things in here and, and definitely some passages that you will have been exposed to if you've been around church at all. But Again, brief introduction, 2 Corinthians from Paul, again to the church in Corinth. But this is actually the fourth letter that Paul's written. So remember there was 0 Corinthians that was before 1 Corinthians, and there was 1 Corinthians. And then there's something that Paul refers to as a tearful letter. So if you look in 2 Corinthians 2, he says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now you could say he's probably talking about First Corinthians, but I, I don't think so. That doesn't seem to really fit with the, the attitude of the previous letter. He seems to be a little bit more kind of uh, judgy. Judgy isn't a good word to use, but he seems to be a little bit more kind of like you know, encouraging them to repent and things like that. Tearful, like with tears, doesn't really seem to match that First Corinthians letter. And so typically people will say that there's another letter in between First and Second Corinthians, and that's like, you know, you know 1.5 Corinthians, and then Second Corinthians here is actually the fourth letter. So uh, something that's just very interesting, I think, to keep in mind is that there's this conversation going on back and forth between Paul and this church, and we're only catching one side of it, which is Paul's part, and he alludes to things that they've said to him, or interactions that he's had with them, but we don't have that other letter. If we did, then we would have so much more context and so much more understanding of what was going on in the church and the things that Paul says. So, um, again, you have this idea, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus in chapter 1, by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, so instead of Sosthenes, he's writing with Timothy. To the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints. There it is again. In verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. So the important thing here to, uh, to note again is that he's writing them again. He's referring to them as saints again. So their status is still the same. They're still considered set-apart people, holy ones, of God, uh, regardless of whatever immorality or, or disobedience they might be taking part in. So, big deal here is that it seems like, in light of Paul's previous letter that the church repented, now repentance is kind of an interesting word, it's not a word that we use in our everyday, you know, uh, our everyday conversations. Repentance comes from a word that it's a metanoia, which means typically, if you're thinking of a of a military formation, th that um, you know people are walking in one line, and then they turn and walk this direction, and that would be uh, the concept of uh, metanoia, which is repentance, 
which means literally if you're walking towards your sin like this and you repent of your sin, then you are now walking away from it. So you've made a conscious decision to no longer sin and continue in the direction of sin as your master, but to turn away from it and to walk away from it. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 9, he says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. And so he's saying that he has joy um, not that they were grieved by his previous letter, but because the grief that they experienced encouraged them to repent and to, to basically to take what he was saying in First Corinthians seriously. These issues about unity, about uh, about uh, ethics, and how they should be treating one another with love, um, and all of those things. So again, most likely written during the 50s A.D. during Paul's third missionary journey. I think your book makes the argument, and I, I don't see any reason why this wouldn't be the case, that it was written a year after 1 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians, I would say that the argument would be that Paul wrote, second, uh, wrote to the Corinthians to encourage their continued growth in unity for the sake of Christ, his church, and his mission. And so the passage that I talk about has to do with the mission of reconciliation that that Jesus has given to his followers and that the way that they interact with each other has an impact on the ability to uh, to accomplish that mission of reconciliation, reconciliation with each other and reconciliation with the world, um, the preaching a, a message of reconciliation. And so I think that their unity will enable them to uh, pursue that uh, that mission that Paul is concerned with that I'll talk about in a minute. But here's the structure. A few things I want to draw your attention to. Not a ton of things in 2 Corinthians that I want to draw your attention to, but a few things. Number one, what we already talked about, the relationship between 2 Corinthians and the other uh, Corinthian correspondences, uh, Corinthian letters, including the ones that we don't have. We have um, this idea of, where is it, ministry of reconciliation. So, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who uh, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's a lot going on here. Basically, he's saying that we have a ministry of reconciliation of going forward with this message that you can be united with God. You can be, the your relationship with God can be fixed. We're ambassadors for that message, for Christ. And so God is appealing to the world through us. And so in the rest of uh, 2 Corinthians and in 1 Corinthians as well, the argument uh, is seen that the way that we interact with each other impacts the way that the that people outside of the church view us. And so it's very important that there's unity within the church 
um, and that sin isn't a, a problem within the church so that they can effectively be ambassadors of reconciliation for the world and taking that message uh, to the world. A very important thing in this passage as well as the end is for, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this is a very interesting idea that for those who have faith in Christ, it was actually, uh, he's, he's explaining a little bit and giving us a little bit of insight in terms of what happened when Jesus died. He was made to be sin, even though he knew no sin, even though he was perfect and completely obedient and never sinned, he knew no sin. Um, God made Jesus sin. The idea is that Jesus took on took on the um, the sin of the world, and that in his death, when he died, that sin, all of the sin of the world, was, uh, or or you could even say the sin of his people, whatever it is, the sin of those that would follow him, was paid for by his death, by his blood, and that that's how that's how the atonement works. That's how God brings us into connection with Him, is by making Jesus sin, pouring out the wrath that's deserved upon Him. And then um, that that sin is no longer we we no longer are on the on the hook on uh, in terms of the wrath for that sin, and so as a result of this we become the righteousness of God we receive Jesus's righteousness given to us and that is how we're justified that's how God remains remember in Romans just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ is that God's able to maintain his justice, he's just, but he also is able to justify us, to declare us righteous, is to, is to pour out his wrath on, of sin, for sin onto Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Another idea here uh, we have is this, this concept of the collection for Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. And so this is at the end of First Corinthians as well, that there's this, uh, Paul's going around collecting, uh, taking up a collection of offerings for the church in Jerusalem because they'd experienced some difficult times. And so he's wanting to encourage them to give generously. Uh, you see that in chapter 8. Now this gift, though, is actually really important. So it, it ties into this theme of unity as well. So not only unity, within the, the within a particular local church but also unity for, between all the churches of Christ is it's all one church together all part of one body and so very interesting in that first and second Corinthians is probably written to churches that were full of Gentiles and these Gentile churches are giving in order to support this mainly Jewish church in Jerusalem and so by doing so they're expressing the unity of faith that they have because of their common faith in Jesus um, that again, we'll, we we've mentioned, but we'll be talking about more explicitly in when we talk about Ephesians. So eight and nine talks about this gift that's that is um, being collected for the church in Jerusalem. Want to draw your attention to a very intriguing passage in Second Corinthians twelve, and this is where. Uh, if you've uh, been in church ever, you've heard of Paul's thorn in the flesh. It's a very, very interesting idea. Um, I want to think about the best way to, to, to deal with this. Basically, Paul talks about how he was having, he was, he was having these visions, um, and 
and it was kind of in a sense because of his special connection with Jesus as an apostle. And so he's saying in order to not boast, then what he is, um, so he's talking about as though it was, he's talking about as though it was somebody else, but he's actually talking about himself. Um, and so he's, uh, 12, chapter 12, verse 6, though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So he's saying, I have these amazing visions, but I don't want to boast about it, even though I could. Verse seven of chapter twelve. So keep me from to so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And so he's saying that I was humbled that God allowed Satan to give me this thorn in the flesh. No one knows what it is. It could be a physical ailment. Uh, there's a part where he talks about his uh, in another book. It talks about his eyes being kind of messed up. Not and not referring to the. Um, not referring to the Damascus Road situation, but to a different one. And so the the thought here is maybe it's some kind of illness, maybe it's something to do with his eyes. So he says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When he's weak, he's strong, because when he's weak, it pushes him toward relying on the power of Christ um, rather than his own power. And so that's a very interesting kind of inversion to think about. He's saying that he's okay with this idea of the thorn in the flesh because it actually pushes him further toward Jesus into a more intimate connection with Jesus and it prevents him from boasting and so I think this is something that is kind of important to think about trying to maybe apply even to our own lives in the sense that as we looked at in 1st Corinthians we all uh, for those of us who are believers are part of uh, the same body the church and we're all given different gifts different uh, different roles to perform and it's easy I mean I know that I struggle with this personally it's easy when you have a like a leadership position more within a church to kind of start thinking, and especially if you if you're gifted in a particular way for leadership, not everybody is. Um, I think that's kind of more my bent is toward leadership, uh, and and that's kind of the roles that I've I've fallen into in churches and and at work. But the issue of understanding that that doesn't make you more important than someone else. A Paul who is a very important person. Uh, is saying that he shouldn't be boasting because of his, uh, because of the gifts that God has given him, because of these revelations. And so I think that it's important to realize that that just because God has given us an amazing gift, it's still a gift. It's something that's been given. It's not something that I've produced myself. And so if someone is seeing themselves as an, an especially gifted person, that it's important to realize the source of that gift. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with recognizing a gift for what it is. So for me, saying that, you know, like, I am, like I'm an intelligent person, that's, that, that schoolwork, for example, might come easily more easily for me than someone else. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Um, the, the, the thing that would be wrong is not recognizing that that's actually a gift that's been given to me by God to use for God's own purposes. And so... Uh, in Paul's situation, he's saying, I'm thankful for this thorn in the flesh, whatever it is, this discomfort that's come upon me, 
because it has allowed me to focus on that which actually gives me strength, and that is Christ. So the thing that's so interesting, I love it, is uh, there is is right there in verse 9, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, uh, and that uh, for the sake of Christ and I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, that I am strong, because his strength comes from his connection to Jesus. So that's those are the main takeaways I want you to see from, from uh, 2 Corinthians. And you can see here this the very uh, interesting con conversation that he has going on with, with the Corinthian church and the fact that uh, Paul's first letter and the tearful letter were actually effective in bringing them to, uh, to faithful obedience to Christ.